Welcome once again to Steelcast, and a belated Happy New Year. In the last few weeks, Steel has been in the news again in the UK, maybe not quite high up the list as Harry and Meghan on the NHS, but there's certainly a lot of interest with um, you know many people starting to realise just how important the domestic steel industry is in underpinning UK manufacturing supply chains, its role in supporting UK resilience, and not least the contribution of a green steel industry can make to the UK's net zero carbon ambitions. So over Christmas, we saw uh, an article in the Daily Mirror uh, where Tata Steel estimated that the UK is going to need 10 million tonnes of steel to transition to, to a green energy-based economy. And, uh, you know, whether that steel will all be made in the UK and whether it's going to be made with low-carbon technologies is yet to be seen, as we've heard in previous episodes. But surely that should be the country's ambition, we would have thought. The last podcast we did was uh, with Annie Heaton from Responsible Steel. I can't believe that was a month ago, but I guess we had Christmas in between. But this series is focusing on the biggest issues facing our industry today and for a generation, if not more, and that's climate change and decarbonisation. So here we are in 2023 and we have another fantastic guest on our podcast, and that's Roz Bullied from the Green Alliance, uh, an organisation that on its website says an independent think tank and charity focused on ambitious leadership for the environment, an organisation that works with businesses, NGOs and politics to accelerate political action and create transformative policy for a green and prosperous UK. So we all like the sound of that, Roz. I'm delighted you've been able to make time to join us today and uh, can't wait to hear uh, your perspectives from a sort of an independent uh, position outside the, the steel industry on the current debates going on around how best to decarbonise the UK and within that, the steel industry. Um, but maybe before we get into the details, I can give you an opportunity to share with our listeners a bit more about Green Alliance and maybe a bit more about yourself and your own history and where you've come from. Thanks, Tim really good to talk to you. So in terms of my background, um, I actually started off working in ecology. My first job was living under a tree in Costa Rica, uh, catching bees um, for four or five months, um, a high of which I have not kind of (laughs) managed to achieve again, perhaps. Um, But then after that, I moved into environmental journalism and worked mostly in quite some specialist publications, which gave me a really broad knowledge of environment um, and kind of lots of uh, lots of interesting areas across my whole brief um uh but from there then i moved to make uk which is a trade association for manufacturers give me a good understanding of where businesses are coming from and some of the challenges they face i did that for a a sort of i think around five years actually in the end and then since then i've been at green alliance which um allows me to focus perhaps a little bit more on the kind of environmental element of um of all these challenges Greenlights has been around for about 40 years and, as you said, is particularly focused on encouraging government to adopt ambitious environmental policy. We're a small team of around 40 people with a politics function and a more policy research based element, which is the the bit where I work. And we cover a pretty broad range of topics from helping secure the Environment Act with its commitment to halt the decline of biodiversity by 2030 and a whole host of other measures, reform of agricultural subsidies to ensure farmers are paid for public goods, promoting a more circular economy and the climate and environmental benefits um, associated with using resources better. Um, And we do a swathe of work on climate, as you might imagine, from back in the day, um, working on the phase out of coal for power generation to now looking at how we can streamline rollout of cheap renewable energy. We work on electric vehicle adoption, decarbonising aviation, removing carbon from the atmosphere. And finally, the the, the kind of programme this work sits under decarbonising industry. 
Another thing to know about us is that we try and be pragmatic. There's a really useful role for more radical environmental groups in shifting the conversation and challenging us all not to get too comfortable. Um, mm. But at Greenlights, we try and come up with solutions that can work from the political, the work across the political spectrum and with the grain of business, rather than perhaps kind of requiring a whole rethink of capitalism before we can start decarbonisation. Yeah, wow, that's a hell of a remit, isn't it, Ros? And uh, as you say, I was talking to someone the other day about, uh, you know, as members of society and, and, and our communities, you know, we can sometimes feel a bit uncomfortable about people pushing us into a space that may be further than we're you know, comfortable to go. And, you know, some people might look at Greta Thunberg and say, you know, her, her, her ideas and her proposals for the world are too fast or too extreme. But so society sometimes we need people to pull us further than we want to go in order to make us move at all would that would you agree with that perspective yes i think it's really helpful to have a kind of range of views so that we can properly get to the kind of workable solutions um i think the school strikes and greta thunberg's work was really influential in kind of shifting the debate and there's a kind of a term the political uh, in politics called the overton window which is the kind of the framing and the the, the kind of area in which the debate happens and I think that that kind of era of the climate strikes and stuff really shifted that that Overton window and we did see kind of suddenly I think um, politicians waking up far more to the kind of urgency of climate action which was you know is, is really yeah. helpful yeah and yeah. the challenge is then to translate it obviously into things that actually can can be done um without perhaps mm. as I said <laughs> having to sort of stop and rethink the whole of capitalism um at the same time yeah, because that is quite a challenge, isn't it? You know, um, and, and I'm sure we won't get into it in this podcast in terms of uh, discussing the merits of capitalism, socialism and communism in terms of uh, developing a, a solution to climate change. But it, but it, it is a holistic topic, isn't it? And I know today's podcast is about steel and the steel industry and decarbonising steel, but it's very difficult to have that debate, isn't it, without going into the sort of where steel sits in an economy, what sort of uh, country you that we want in the UK as opposed to different organisations. I mentioned on podcasts before about, you know, George Osborne going back some years, talked about the march of the makers, the importance of an industrial backbone to the UK. And I guess your your organisation, Green Alliance, is taking that holistic approach as you listed, you know, a whole gamut mm -hmm. of uh, areas that you're trying to cover. But within that, how, how important is the steel industry? Um, well, I think I think the kind of first thing is that we've got to the point globally and kind of in the UK where we need action in, in every area and every sector of the economy to meet net zero. And also because we've we've got to half of effectively emissions in this decade if we want to have a hope of keeping climate change at a kind of manageable level. So that it's no longer possible. I think when we had an 80 percent UK emissions reduction target, we could say, well, industry can sit in that remaining 20 percent. Let's not worry about that. But now it's a kind of we're shining a spotlight, I think, on every bit of the, the economy. And there really isn't much place to hide. Every sector needs to play its role. Um, and very few, there's not an awful lot of debate about something like steel decarbonisation in the environmental world. It tends to be mm. a lot more kind of power and heating and things, which are really important too. But that's why we also have chosen to to actually work in this space. Because as you say, there's a huge question about what country we want to be. And I, I think uh, the Ukraine crisis has made us, particularly has made yeah. us more aware of kind of supply chain resilience and the need to have domestic resources and a kind of well-balanced economy. Mm. Um, and there's environmentally absolutely no benefit at all in um, decarbonising the UK by offshoring production of 
materials like steel uh, it doesn't do the climate any favors because a ton of carbon is a ton of carbon wherever you emit it so yeah um, we, we, you know and and there's all the value that you know in terms of kind of skilled jobs and things that the steel industry provides and potentially hopefully kind of really big opportunity to supply um markets as you were alluding yeah. to i think for um that are emerging for both kind of things like renewables and generally with um more countries and more companies seeking to um to buy green steel as well so yeah really really want to see the steel industry as part of a kind of future for the uk a low carbon future for the uk and um yeah that's why that's mm. the kind of angle we're coming at it from but yeah there is there's an awful lot of other sectors that need to be decarbonized and a lot of other issues going on at the same time but um i think that breadth give us hopefully gives us the kind of perspective as well and some for instance working on resource efficiency and circularity alongside um decarbonization they're really closely linked, but I think there's real value to kind of viewing all of these together as part of the same picture. And and mm. sometimes the solutions are the same, you know, more electric art furnaces, better recycling makes much better use of um, the materials we have in the UK, which has an economic benefit and can decarbonise as well. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, and I guess we come on to some of that detail about, you know, potential technologies mm. and the opportunity for recycling and domestic scrap market and so on and so forth. But, you know, I wonder as you, as an organisation such as Green Alliance, whether you get, you know, kind of people throwing bricks and saying, you know, well, it's all very well, but, you know, the UK is such a small contributor to global climate change that actually, that you know, everyone's every, everyone's efforts ought to be at other parts of the world where the where the impact is much better, whether that's America or China or so on and so forth. But I, I guess the argument back would say we've all got to do our bit, you know, and I, I know in the UK, for example, the steel industry accounts for two percent of, of the emissions but in Wales, where I'm sitting in Patal, but. 15% of Wales' uh, carbon emissions come from mm. the steel industry. So it's that balance, isn't it, between saying, I know we might not be the biggest in the world, but but why would we not do it anyway? Because it's the right thing to do. And, and maybe more poignantly, as you pointed out, uh, uh, and we get on to, I'm sure, our customers are demanding it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I, I think there's a real danger. We're seeing the US adopt the Inflation Reduction Act and the EU looking at kind of parallel measures. Um, there's a real danger the UK is left behind actually now and that major economies are seeing a real opportunity in this space to kind of move into new green low carbon technologies um, and I think the UK should be proud of itself for its kind of leadership in in the last few decades in this space and reducing emissions by as much as it has but it, I, I think we're at a real point where we risk kind of losing some of that momentum and, and missing some of those opportunities which and there's quite a classic British story of kind of being involved at the start and inventing technologies and then always <laughs> massively capitalising yeah, on them. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're I think we're at that point now, and um, uh, really, really keen to see the UK um, seize those opportunities. Having sort of effectively started talking about this quite a long time ago, um, and as you yeah. say, obviously, like every 0.1 degree of warming that we can avoid, also has an impact on the climate as well so there's there's a kind yeah. of moral and practical reason as well even if you're not going to be the only solution in the UK to, to actually play yeah. a part in. yeah absolutely there is and I guess part of your role and part of our role is to try and change this narrative from transitioning towards net zero and improving climate changes as something that, the, that we that we have to do or is morally but and and therefore could be a threat to our living standards or um, or jobs or so on and so forth. And try and change that narrative to saying 
this could be a massive opportunity and we might touch on it later but um at the recent report and we definitely will touch on it later but there was a mckinsey quote that said they believe there's a global market opportunity of one trillion pounds for British businesses by 2030, and the transition could support 480,000 jobs. You know, how important is that narrative and what is it an organisation like yours, relatively small, can do to support that more positive narrative, do you think? We certainly are kind of trying to draw up those positives. Um, I think it's really important. I mean, for, for several reasons, it's, it's obviously important because we want those jobs and we need those jobs in the UK. Um, it's also important, I think, in a kind of more psychological fashion in terms mm. of telling a story about climate change. I mean, it, it is a very potentially scary and, and, and worrying prospect for yeah. people in the UK, but particularly for people in other countries as well, that, that prospect of the climate, you know, and changing and all those impacts. And people, we know that people actually though don't respond particularly well to kind of doom stories again and again and actually giving more positive stories can help people feel more empowered and able to act as well so actually just on a kind of messaging terms it's it's quite useful I think but um it's absolutely true we there is opportunities here there's we're already seeing um for instance looking at offshore wind the UK success story in that area we've seen the cost of installing and operating winds offshore wind drop significantly and massive UK leadership in this area now um and if we could get, we might come to this later, but if we could get the power pricing structure a bit better, we should see that reflected in our electricity bills as well. So there's, uh, you know, look at things like LEDs as well. You know, there's there's yep. plenty of good news stories out there as well of where really we have seen green technologies improve cost of living and support the economy as well. So, mm. yeah, the, the steel industry might feel that it's the kind of at the point where this is an additional cost. But actually, who knows what really embracing this change might do as well for the for the industry and um and yeah. it's kind of bottom line over time too yeah and fingers crossed but you know we understand why people are slightly cynical because people bandy about terms such as green jobs without really explaining what those green jobs might be but you know and, and when we you know you said about you know the progress that britain has made over the last few decades in terms of uh, decarbonization but people will say yeah but most of that in reality has come from deindustrialization, and i think people's fears might be that you know, the powers that be in the broadest sense might say, well, actually, if you get rid of the concrete industry and the glass industry and the steel industry, then, hey, we've met all our targets. And you go back to that point you made very early on in our discussion today, which is about this offshoring. It's it's quite a difficult balance because you kind of need to invest to grow, I guess, would be the, the answer, wouldn't it? Do you see an, do you see an, a UK which is growing its industrial base on the back of green technologies? Well, just first of all, just to say about the kind of emissions reduction, I mean, we've cut our emissions by half in this country, and a lot of that has come from the power sector, to be honest. It hasn't come from, you know, in the bigger picture, it's not come from offshoring industry. And we have also reduced emissions from existing industry substantially as well. There is an issue with um, the fact that we still consume a lot of emissions through the products we import and perhaps some of the you know products we made here were now made elsewhere and the kind of there is still carbon effectively embedded in them and so there's a bit of a challenge there about thinking not just within our borders but actually what is the role the wider role and the wider footprint of the UK and you know this mm. it's quite technical but we would like to see more kind of metrics and thinking at that level as well to make sure that we aren't just sort of substituting where the emissions are but actually those their so-called consumption emissions those are now falling as well in the UK's yeah. term not as fast as the total kind of the UK's actual emissions but 
um, from within our country. But we are also seeing that kind of climate impacts fall as well. So just to reassure people on that front that <laughs> it, it, it's not entirely just sort of shifting industries overseas that's that's met, yeah. met our target. Yeah, um, good good to hear. And then to, so to talk about growth, I mean, I, yeah, not to go back too much to the offshore wind sector, but, you know, we have seen there are examples of in the UK, the offshore wind sector in, say, it's moved around a bit where the benefits for the solar PV sector has been, if I'm completely honest, I think European countries did very well in the early days and now China is making a huge amount of money out of photovoltaic panels. But um, yeah, we, there are these kind of set areas in which we have already seen kind of considerable new jobs and growth. And yeah, the hope is that we can kind of expand the range of technologies and the range of opportunities like that. Yeah, and and, and I'm sure that's I'm sure that's the case. I know certainly, you know, if you look within ourselves in Tata Steel, you know, the new relationships or growing relationships we're having with, you know, universities such as Swansea University next door to Patalba, where they're developing the coatings for buildings as power stations and the technologies mm-hmm. there, the the relationships we're building with RWE in terms of floating offshore wind farms, in terms of using steel, you know, in the news, I think last week was Lanzatech who are trying to develop, you know, uh, green airline fuels based, mm-hmm. uh, made out of gases from processes. It seems that you know those green that 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 terminology green jobs and I really understand they're starting to get some meat on the bones of that and people are starting to go actually you know we've got to think less about individual jobs in individual organizations and say you know as a collaboration of industries and academia and government and society you know these jobs the employment framework maybe is likely to change but in a positive way I think is that a kind of a vision of the future do you think yeah and I think it's worth thinking about where the resources and where the kind of investment would go for different types of decarbonisation. So actually, if we were importing a lot of fossil fuels for power, for instance, that, you know, a lot of the benefit of that goes overseas. But actually, if we're generating that power in the UK through renewables, we get far more of that benefit. Likewise, um, there's a, it's becoming a bit of a kind of worn a well-worn fact but anyway the fact that the UK exports more scrap than the steel it produces is similarly um, a, you know a real wasted opportunity why would we import coal and ore and have other countries benefit from that when we we're sitting on a kind of a resource that we can make better use of that also then protects our supply chains further as well so I think there are you know just at, at that level there are more opportunities to kind of support our industry and make better use of the kind of materials and opportunities we have and effectively sort of reshore in a way part of part of our economic um opportunity yeah yeah and and I think you know we'd all go for a vision like that and I think uh, I know it's going back a few prime ministers ago now but when Boris Johnson talks about leveling up and I would assume the current government has, has still got that on their agenda lots of the traditional heavy manufacturing industries as people might describe it such as uh, steel communities are ripe for leveling up they're ripe for investment they're ripe for you know using the skills of the youngsters in the area for some of these new industries that are growing up in a in a sort of collaborative fashion so I think there's a lot of positives to be said about the vision for the future it's just there seems to be a bit of a step to get there doesn't yeah, it absolutely I mean I think and I think there is a real challenge about as you say the sort of green jobs sounds a bit fluffy what does that actually mean and where are the transition pans I think that would be really helpful if for instance we weren't just talking about the technologies and steel but we had a really clear plan that actually as we transition that means these workers need to be retrained in this area to make you know hydrogen production say or yeah um, you know maybe some people move into kind of really sophisticated scrap sorting and you kind of get more vertical integration of steel companies yeah, there should be plenty of other opportunities just within the steel industry and other other heavy industries as well we've been also 
looking at the chemicals industry recently and there's you know some exciting emerging technologies there that you could use or you could start to re uh, reshore some of the kind of say methanol production and that's the kind of building block of other yeah. kind of chemicals so and those yeah as you say those opportunities are in the regions that are away from kind of the southeast and, and big cities potentially as well or some of the kind yeah. of so it really should be part of the picture and I think yeah I, as I said I think other countries are perhaps realizing this to a greater extent um, or seizing the opportunity to a greater extent at the moment than the UK mm. you, you mm. know UK seems to be able to do. Yeah and we'll and we'll pick up on that uh, as we go through maybe about the uh, opportunities for you know, current or future governments to incentivize industries to move forward and collaborate and so on and so forth but just want to touch on the fact that Green Alliance published a report in July 2022 and I can't promise to have read every word of it but I kind of got the gist of it uh, building the future of faster route to clean steel and um, there is a lot in that but I wonder if you could just take us through some of the headlines of that which probably reinforce some of the narrative we've been talking about already this morning yes absolutely so um you know we're not technical experts in steel so if you read the report and you spot the odd thing that you think oh they haven't understood that then we are trying to take on big macro picture just whether a lot of your audience might be real kind of steel yeah. experts but we were looking at it from from a kind of outside point of view which hopefully was was useful um so where we arrived at was um, kind of, as I think I've mentioned a couple of times really, that we see real opportunity in greater recycling and electric car furnaces. So we feel like that's no regret option that should be seized where possible. We're not suggesting the UK actually shouldn't still make some virgin steel as well. And there is an opportunity still if we were to invest to, to start to use hydrogen reduction um, and in, in that area. Uh, maybe we could have that up and running by 2030 if we, we moved at speed. Um, it is pretty surprising that lots of other European countries are now now have projects in this area and the UK still doesn't, um, which is which is a disappointment. But anyway, mm. so looking at kind of a model of which you replaced about um, 80 percent of the UK steel industry with electric car furnaces and retained 20 percent virgin steelmaking capability. We we kind of arrived um, at the, the assumption that you could get emissions down by 85 percent by 2035. That's kind of roughly in line, actually, with what the government's climate change committee also says for um, it suggests a target for um, all based steelmaking of near zero by 2035. Effectively, if you're looking at the whole industry versus all based steelmaking, that, that's the same target. So, yeah, what we yeah. recommended was that government industry should adopt a joint target and kind of a plan to then work together and achieve that goal. And then um, our recommendations are very much focused on enabling the investment environment to then achieve and deliver that goal. So there were a few areas where we thought um, government could act across the board and support everyone within the sector to kind of improve its competitiveness and then deliver investment and decarbonisation. So the first one was the, f the sort of first concrete recommendation we then made to government was for a, a green power pool, <laughs> which is a slightly uh, technical <laughs> term for basically delivering lower electricity prices on a more competitive basis um, mm. to the steel industry to enable that transition to electrification that you need, you need for more recycling. Um, at the moment, power prices are set by, um, by the price of gas. So even though renewables are now able to deliver at much cheaper rates than gas-powered plants, and this was even before the recent, this the last year's sort of spike in gas prices, we don't see that translated through into our electricity bills. So we suggested government could trial some, you know, a, an approach through which it kind of effectively bundled a bunch of renewables power and gave it to the steel industry, 
particularly thinking as well that if you're losing electric arc furnaces, they can operate on a batch function and make good use of the periods in which the wind is blowing as well. Yeah. Um, so, and and if you did that on a kind of a bit like something that's called a power purchase agreement, which is a, an individual agreement with a supplier and a, and a purchaser. But if government kind of bundled that and underwrote it, you'd also have the certainty of power prices kind of could be fixed out to 10 years ahead, which would really support kind of investment. And if done in various, you know, there's very different ways of doing this. Um, and power sector experts can spend forever talking about these kind of things. But you could do it in a way that might encourage more um, renewables generation up front as well. You know, local communities might think, well, actually, I'm more willing to have a wind farm on my doorstep if I know it's supporting local jobs. So, you know, th there's potential benefits there as well. So we want yeah. to, we're really keen to see government look at essentially at that improving. I mean, there have been some measures already to kind of look at the additional charges that are put on the wholesale and the kind of cost of generation and that are within your power price. But we also think there's a kind of opportunity actually to look at that wholesale element and that that kind of the cost of generation that are passed through to the industry. And yeah. that would help competitiveness and and kind of persuade people perhaps hopefully to move to electrification. So yeah, so lots of people will read in the media that the steel industry in the UK is looking for government support, financial support to transition to a new technology. And it's a big piece of money that's needed. But what is often less reported is the is the sort of legislative requirements that need to support that. Because while we haven't declared our preferred technology to decarbonise, uh, put all but especially, you know, our chairman talked about moving to a scrap based technology. Uh, and inevitably, that's likely to increase the need for electricity. But if electricity costs in the UK remain as they are now, we would simply be uncompetitive with European peers. And so then the, 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 the need of government and, you know, it's, it's different from like iron ore, where you could say, well, there's a world market for iron ore. And wherever you are in the world, a steel company, you have to you buy it on the open market. Whereas energy is regulated by the, the government and they can set those charges differently from country to country. So, you know, we're in we're in the lap of government decisions in terms of being able to make that technology choice. That's that's pretty challenging for any industry, not just steel, isn't it? Yeah, well, actually, you know, even it even happens at the domestic level with whether you keep a gas boiler or you move to an electric heat pump. And obviously, an electric heat pump is so much more efficient. It makes much better use of the energy it receives to kind of warm your house. But the pricing differential between electricity and gas means that depending on those relatively prices, you you might not see that saving actually translating into your bills, um, which which is really something that government does need to address it was and, and obviously that applies across industry as well we're you know we're we're seeing we've been incentivizing combined heat and power so essentially on-site generation using gas um in some sectors actually that isn't the right solution for decarbonization now you could use heat pumps in some of those kind of areas as well but again we've got to sort out this price differential it's it's possibly not quite the right time to do that on the kind of whole economy scale right now i, I can see the challenges we're kind of trying to level up through increasing gas price at the moment that would that would be a challenge to government to be fair yeah. to it but but it really is a kind of it's a cross economy question and yeah the steel industry really is at kind of at the brunt of that um and that's why we thought actually with this kind of green power pool proposal maybe a sector like steel where you can see a real decarbonisation benefit offering that opportunity and you could offer it in exchange um could be a kind of test bed for a wider 
um, sort of mechanisms that work in this way. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was going to say, I mean, our, I think our other recommendations work in an equal way as well. They're kind of trying to present, I mean, and they're against the backdrop of a whole range of policies government's already said it's doing, which it is doing, but very slowly. So we were trying to pick a kind of additional opportunities. But yeah, they were they were very much focused on enabling environments. So we also wanted to um, look at the issue of, or want government to look more closely at the issue of scrap supplies, because as I said, there's a lot of scrap a lot of which is exported but that's actually quite low quality and the competition mm. then for good quality scrap is a potential problem and an issue that needs to be addressed if more people are going to use scrap so on scrap what the kinds of measures that we were suggesting government could consider as well are kind of tighter standards for exports to avoid really low quality scrap being kind of easily exported and actually kind of challenge uh, the scrap industry to, to sort more of it but alongside that to offer them um, tax breaks for investing in better scrap sorting equipment um, and also um, other countries don't charge VAT on scrap so we also suggest the government remove VAT on scrap. If we are talking and, or, and if we're in the world around, um, of government being willing to consider capex investments I mean actually I'd suggest that scrap and provision of good quality scrap is another area that maybe government could kind of offer industry-wide opportunities for them people to invest in as well so that that might be another area where you don't then need mm -hmm. to target an individual company it's a kind of good supporting measure that actually could be kind of open more broadly and and that might help with some of these challenges around being seen to give kind of big pieces of money to individual companies and the the final kind of measure that we proposed um partly because you can't put 101 recommendations in the policy report because no one reads it uh, which would uh, hopefully as well kind of help create a better investment environment would be to look at this issue of carbon border adjustments. So um, at the moment, uh, the steel industry is part of the emissions trading system in the UK and receives some of its allowances for free. So reducing the cost of that. And that is meant to protect against um, the kind of risk of being undercut by the countries without the same uh, yeah. decarbonisation costs. But there is another way of doing it, which the EU has moved towards, which is um, instead that you actually charge effectively everyone a carbon cost by putting a um, a cost on imports as well. There's other ways you could do it. You could have kind of carbon standards for, in, for products at the border as well. But essentially that kind of levels the market in the UK. So anyone buying steel has to effectively pay a carbon price within that steel um mm. which which seems as well would hopefully kind of provide a bit more certainty as to ongoing costs to the sector and and um, get around some of these concerns about being undercut by industries in that in in economies that aren't yet starting to decarbonize i mean i suppose i would say as well that we are seeing more and more other parts of the world beginning to decarbonize their steel sectors so in theory this is an area that issue that would kind of begin to go away over time but can very much understand the kind of concerns that, um in the among uk producers about those additional costs of carbon um and decarbonization yeah. as well so so that was that was kind of aimed at addressing that it's very difficult isn't it because so many of these issues all of those you've mentioned but we haven't touched on hydrogen necessarily and the infrastructure that might be re required for hydrogen and the opportunities for carbon capture and, and storage and the infrastructure that might be required so many of these kind of land at the government's door and, and you know part of me has some sympathy with the government saying this is a free market economy mind you know if it's going to make if the British businesses are going to make a lot of money out of this as an opportunity because there's demand for their products then then can't industry you know pay for it themselves now you know I've been in the steel industry all my life and I know how difficult it is to make money in the steel industry or certainly enough to invest in this scale 
And arguably the push to net zero is a legislative issue as much as a, a moral one or a market issue. Is the steel industry doing enough to help itself, do you think? Or is it inevitable that government has to support things like these carbon border adjustments, investment in scrap recycling, uh, processing, uh, the the support to transition to to a staggeringly different uh, technology. Where's, where's the balance? Do you think, Ros? Yeah, it's it's the kind of million dollar question, isn't it? Um, certainly, and there are a lot of other things government could be investing in. Um, and I wouldn't, to be completely frank, want to be in government's shoes. Um, <laughs> you know, we we know there is that opportunity. We know there's that market. I suppose the challenge is can. UK industry transition in time to make the best of that market um, and that might that, that needs I mean that does need the sort of ongoing supportive policies the kind of operational that solve the operational problems it may and I don't know the details of what Tata's planning obviously but perhaps there's a good case as well for kind of investing capex investment in individual plants too I mean my preference and I suppose I, what I'd sort of urge government to look at is where it can fix as much as this through operational measures. Some of the things that we've recommended, for instance, don't have a particularly high cost to government. Actually, a carbon border adjustment would bring in money for government because it would be making income from the steel that it charged a carbon border adjustment on. Uh, likewise, actually, a green power pool wouldn't have a, much of a cost to government because you're really just kind of taking an element of the power market and giving it to the to the steel industry, you know, and so that and actually some of the other measures on power the government's already done essentially just redistribute costs across power consumers so not all of these things and i think i'd urge government to look at where it can do those kind of operational things and if it is doing capex where it could do things on the capex front that others can kind of compete and or benefit from as well so that, hence the sort of scrap measures i think if you were to look at hydrogen steel making that kind of to continue making virgin steel in the uk as an option you know that that actually could be centrally placed that it doesn't need to be at a particular steel plant you could say you could you could sort of fund a um and the government could invest in a hydrogen steel making plant somewhere in the country that actually then also benefits existing electric art furnace manufacturers for instance by giving them kind of another option to use to use an input from there as well and produce different grades of steel as a result so i think there's it would be really good to when government is thinking about sort of supporting individual companies, if it's actually looking across the whole sector as well. So they're making sure best use of that money for the whole sector. So that's where I would urge them to be. But obviously, yeah, there's I'm also very well aware that, you know, <laughs> there is a short term line. It is a sector that that sort of struggles financially. Um, yeah. And the other governments are making investments as well. So, yeah, it, it's hard to kind of comment on individual cases, but it does seem like there's a there's a breadth of other things that need to be considered as part of any yeah. decision on this. Yeah, and it does feel it needs some sort of catalyst to get over this, you know, bump in the bedsheet almost. And uh, like you say, other governments are doing the same. Now, you know, we we have lots of politicians coming through the door and come to businesses and talk to us about um, their plans and so on and so forth. And it wasn't that long ago, Johnny Reynolds, the shadow business secretary, was here talking about if Labour got into power at the next election, that they've got a they put aside a 27 billion pound green fund, three billion of that would be in the industry. Well, a massive amount of detail about what is required. Um, but it does feel from within the industry that, you know, we can invest in new power plants and energy efficient schemes, and LED lighting and variable speed drives and all this stuff to reduce our energy usage, carbon footprint costs uh, to satisfy a market. We can buy, you know, green electricity for our, for our downstream plants. 
But it all pales into insignificance with that big technology change. And you just get the feeling that that can't happen without you know, two big things from the government, which is some financial incentive to move and two, I hesitate to call it an industrial strategy or an energy strategy, but that joined up thinking, as you've been talking about, between our industry, our customers, scrap generation, hydrogen infrastructure, energy infrastructure. It feels like we need all of that. Uh, and I might be I might be doing the government a disservice and they may say, well, well, we think we've got all of that and you just haven't tied into it, maybe. But it feels like that's where, where it needs to go, isn't it, Ros? Yes, I think it's been very disappointing over the last few years to see the government move away from an industrial strategy approach. Um, so, yes, I mean, and other countries have seem to seem to have kind of these often seems to have these industrial strategies and these coordinated plans in a way that I think traditionally in the UK, we've been a bit wary of picking winners. And this is, I think, probably partly the legacy of that. We like to see a market, but there are measures that sort of are creating markets too. So things like the emissions trading system and kind of carbon border adjustments. And, you know, you can kind of set these things within a framework of to, to a degree of a market as well um, to help the market sort of select the best options. But yeah, absolutely agree that there are some really big chunky investments needed in the next decade and decade and a half as well. Um, Your language is interesting about picking winners, you know, because, you know, the steel industry has had its difficulties, you know, over over the years. Henrik Adams said in a, in a piece in the Times recently, we're at a crossroads. And it does feel like the other side of that crossroads is is actually a very potentially very bright future for this domestic steel industry. When we talk about if you want to make wind turbines, you want to make nuclear power plants, if you want to make solar farms, you want to make electric vehicles, you know, want to make sustainable buildings, you want to make recyclable packaging, then steel is absolutely fundamental to that green future. I know the introduction I mentioned about the 10 million mm-hmm. tonnes required. And I, I think it, it is almost that tipping point about saying, Forget about this traditional heavy industry. There's a real opportunity right now to change this industry into a green industry, a net zero industry, one that underpins the whole of the UK manufacturing chain, one that underpins society in the UK and a new model of saying Britain's going to lead the world in in you know green green society, green economy, and you know, maybe make some of that trillion pounds for British businesses, especially maybe post-Brexit, there's the opportunity, lots of steel workers will have voted for Brexit, as the opportunity to say, now we can look after ourselves. How do we persuade, you know, ourselves, society, government, that the future of the steel industry in the UK may be nothing like the former one, it might be incredibly bright? I mean, (laughs) one thing I think that would help, and just a challenge charter a little bit is to be I think a little bit more transparent about what your plans are and and kind of the justification that you would use to stack that up to government and the sort of business model for the future that you see I think that would would potentially help kind of people buy into that vision because it it's a little bit hard just if you see the industry asking for money but and with the history of the sector perhaps sometimes having asked for money just to kind of keep propping it up I think if you could show that that investment would be transformational and that all the money that government is giving you will actually go into low carbon technologies um and i think we would be really clear from government side as well that any money pledged should sort of come with very strong green strings attached yeah i think i think that might help with that kind of people buying into the vision a little bit more um so i would i mean i I know there's challenges around that um 
potentially because you're kind of giving away your, your investment plans. But um, we are seeing more companies as well sign up to science-based targets and kind of yep. provide decarbonisation plans as well. So, I, I mean, I would hope that Tata would start to be able to kind of find itself doing that a bit more. I know as well there's sort of challenges around jobs and things in the in the kind of green, green transition as we touched on earlier, but that is very true as well of individual sites. Um, so obviously kind of being really clear about kind of how jobs would kind of link into that as well. I think it's got to be yeah. part of that piece as well. Yeah, and I think we're starting to build that evidence and science-based targets we've signed up to, responsible steel we're signing up to yeah. uh, for site on the last podcast. I think there's other there's building evidence about how we are tapping into some of these funds, so the IETF, the uh, Transformation Fund from the government, that is you know predicated on that investment being spent to improve the environmental performance of steelworks and stuff. So, so hopefully that can build. Um, and I guess I'm just very keen as a as a lifer, as I explained earlier, that. That people don't put us in a bucket which said traditional, old-fashioned, declining, and put us in a bucket that said, if we want that future, then steel has to be part of it. And I think that's um, maybe it's maybe it's a PR no, exercise no, no. for me. But. Well, I think it is possibly, but it's also something a narrative that you know we're trying to show as well because we don't want the green transition to be about kind of closing off doors and shutting places down we it's got to be about bringing people along and building kind of new opportunities so uh, yeah it's very much we we've also been trying to kind of use that language and talk about it in that sense and can see like i say you know sort of real opportunities in better use of domestic resources and etc so yeah uh, but i think you know well, perhaps it's something for all of us um and politicians as well um to to think about a bit more is is how we project that kind of that vision of where we could be yeah and i know at the beginning you said green alliances we've kind of been around the houses and covered lots of topics in around very random order but it's fascinating insights uh you know an, an apolitical organization green alliance but you know given your you know level your goals about influencing government and influencing legislation you know how strongly will you be speaking out on behalf of the steel industry in that this is essential for a green future. You need a domestic steel industry. It's important for resilience. It's important for leveling up. It's important for jobs. There's opportunities. Is that part of your narrative or are we kind of the PS at the end of your memo? No, no, it is. It is part of our narrative. And we do talk to, you know, all the political parties about this. And we are talking to them ahead of the elections, um, to all of them kind of about these kind of considerations. We also do things like uh, we've got a policy tracker we call it coming out shortly which shows where the UK and what UK policy is delivering enough to kind of meet in which sectors delivering enough to meet net zero targets and where there isn't you know even enough ambition certainly not enough policy etc and you know industry is is right up there actually in, in that as well so we we have got a lot to cover but we you know we do make sure it's part of the kind of picture in the story, certainly, and um, and and very much from this kind of resources and supply chains and resilience kind of point of view as well. And you know, still is a really good example that we use throughout our work, actually, in terms of yeah. from that side. Um, and another thing, perhaps, to mention as well that we're really pushing on at the moment and links those two nicely as well. Those two narratives is around although we see that opportunity um, for and twenty thirty for a low carbon markets. Um, we think there's more government could do now as well to kind of show that there's that market there, um, including things and, and kind of uh, and design right that also encourages better use of steel as well and perhaps more reuse, etc. Um, there are already the government procurement has kind of carbon reduction plans as uh, are mandated when you 
bid into a government contract, but it doesn't require, for instance, scope three emissions. So your your kind of full supply chain emissions. So and likewise, the kind of reporting that companies have to do at stock market level around their emissions footprint doesn't include that supply chain as well. So that would also there's a whole host of ways that you could also get companies thinking about what they buy, even if they're not in the steel sector. And that that also yeah. creates an environment that hopefully will will yeah. get everyone kind of talking in a more positive way about low carbon steel and thinking about the essential um the essential transition ahead as well so that's a big area where we, and we always use steel as an example <laughs> in that case as well yeah and it's a, it's a it's a difficult one i know i'm kind of running out of time and I've, I've had too much of your time already so i'm very grateful for it but you know i guess from sitting in the in the uk steel industry i guess one of the threats would be saying well you know our closest european competitors are moving towards to make green steel you're building a, a, a skyscraper in london and and it says you've got to have green steel in it if you don't invest in the uk steel industry it's going to be relatively easy to get green steel now people say oh we don't want non-green steel from the other side of the world understand that but there's a real threat of saying well we just buy it from france or sweden or germany or italy and and then we'll tick the box we've got green steel it's good for the climate but you lose your native steel industry and i know the recent uh, the difficulties of energy supply from ukraine and russia and so forth have brought resilience to the fore but then it's quite a different argument isn't it to say you know we could just import green steel from from our neighbors in europe yeah and um i mean for in terms of procurement rules as well you know there's there's kind of ways of valuing sort of wider social value that that might incorporate kind of some of these benefits as well i mean absolutely if we're not if we're not also supporting the steel industry and other industries to supply those low carbon materials then transitioning the market is is a risk but do really see those as two sides of the same coin actually like set the market create the market and then support people to actually locally to fulfill that demand um uh, yeah should when those things really should be happening alongside each other government has committed as well to to look at this sort of area but it's just moving quite slowly (laughs) so um I could talk to you all day about this sort of stuff. It's a massive topic and, and we've only really talked about steel and I know your remit is far wider than that and, and even steel within supply chains and industry and stuff. But um, I guess just to wrap up, you know, it'd be interesting just very briefly, just sort of get your emotional feel about the future of the UK steel industry and whether it's realistic to have that optimistic vision of its if its role underpinning UK manufacturing supply chains or, or whether you'd say actually I feel a lot more worried about it how do you feel um well I spent a couple of things one of which is I went to the red car plant just in the kind of period when it was reopened and SSI were in charge and it was really inspiring to see kind of young people that had been doing kind of service industry jobs um on apprenticeships in the steel plant and loving it and kind of getting those good quality engineering jobs so on a personal level i you know i really see the value in kind of ensuring that we still have those kind of industries in the uk and kind of those opportunities and obviously then i think it's really intangible isn't it that link but it's quite hard to get your head around and put numbers to that link between foundation industries like steel and kind of manufacturing further down the the value chain um, which is a bit of a frustration, but you can, you, you know, it's it's going if we don't have that knowledge and expertise and those relationships and things, you know, there, I really do think there's a real risk that we kind of lose a broader swathe of of manufacturing as well, which again is is really not in the um, interest of the UK. So yeah, I'm, you know, personally, I really want to make this work. 
I suppose there are some kind of long term questions that we have to ask ourselves if we can't, you know, if we can't produce, if we think we need hydrogen, for instance, and we can't produce hydrogen particularly competitively, can we import it? You know, we, we need to think about sort of in a kind of global picture as well about the UK steel industry and what value it could fulfill. I mean, I, I, I think most likely those sort of high value goods quality steels that, that kind of require innovation should be the UK's niche, perhaps, because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, having said all that, if we if we manage to get floating offshore wind working, we could end up with actually a massive kind of low cost, low carbon fuel, which um, a world power, which could help us, say, build really cheap hydrogen. We just need to kind of think about think those things through as well. But um, no, absolutely. I I mean, I, I really do want to see us. Well, both doing that market side and kind of really getting architects and specifiers and kind of expertise in that area and, you know, building building kind of a knowledge base that we can export on how to do buildings right. But then really tying that in to kind of domestic suppliers as well and kind of helping the steel industry transition to meet that demand. Um, and I re- yeah, really hope we can get it right because I think it's, there's a lot that could be really exciting in that space. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. Listen, Ros, I, I, we're definitely over time, but uh, like I say, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And uh, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your thoughts. And And we should get you back maybe uh, uh, later on in the year to see how things are progressing and uh, see what influence both yourselves and we can have on, on government policy and see whether you know, investments are forthcoming uh, to change the, the landscape of steel and the, and the power and energy and infrastructure to supply it. But uh, Listen, for for now, Ros, thanks very much for joining us and we'll uh, speak to you again soon. Thanks. Nice to talk to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Steelcast. Please let us know what you think about the topics we're discussing or any other aspects of decarbonisation and sustainability you'd be interested in hearing about. If you want to keep up to date with the latest happenings in Tar Steel UK and in this series, our journey towards decarbonisation, please do subscribe to the podcast through Podbean, Spotify, Google, Apple or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.